hey, we should start our own podcast. Let's do it. Wait, crap. How is it going to go? <laughs> Welcome to this Hysterious Podcast. Welcome, welcome. How are y'all today? Hopefully you're doing good. Hopefully great. Mm-hmm. Grand. Hopefully you're grand. Oh, yep. Grand. Just grand. Well, mm-hmm. I don't think we really got much to talk about. I'm just going to hop right on in. Let's do it to it, yo. So today I have a case for you. Oh, and we are going to be talking about Sharon Kinney. I don't know what or, that is. as she is known in Mexico, La Pistolera. What does that mean? La Pistolera. La Pistolera? La Pistolera. What does he mean? The pistol. Oh. <laughs> is she muy bonita? Mm, eh, kind of. Hmm. Sharon was a horrible, horrible person. Oh. And we are going to talk about that. I'm really going to dive in deep in this one. So I... I'm really going to dig her feet in. Yeah, I've read a book. I've read a book. Oh. I do the thing. You have read a book? I, did. I didn't even know you've read a book. Yeah, once in my life. Wow. So the book is called I'm Just an Ordinary Girl, The Car- the Sharon Kinney Story. I'm just an ordinary girl. By James C. Hayes. Mm. So that's pretty much where all of my information comes from. Why? Oh, that makes sense why you're doing that. And Sharon walked out the door and then, but yeah, <laughs> like the Google thing. I'm like, wow, that would drive me insane hearing that. Yeah. Well, if I had an audiobook, I'd get an audiobook, but I didn't. So I just made my phone read it to me, which is a little harder to follow along, but I did it. <laughs> Good for you, Kenzie. Yeah. Doing if I had work. time to just sit down and read the whole thing, I would, but I don't. So I have to listen to it while I do we other things. We have zero time currently in our lives. Zero time. Zero time. We are remodeling a house. We are literally creating a bathroom. Yes, we are. And a kitchen. And a kitchen. And a dog yard. And a dog yard. <laughs> yep. It's a busy time. It is a very busy time. So, Sharon Elizabeth Hall was born on November 30th in 1939 in Independence, Missouri. Hmm. Missouri. Missouri? Missouri. Independence, Missouri. Her parents were Doris and Eugene Hall. Mm. Sharon's mother worked as a legal secretary. And (laughs) somehow when I wrote secretary, I wrote sexitary. Did you seriously? (laughs) What? Like a sexitary? Look at it. How did you? Oh, my God. That's from something, too. Remember? It's right next to each other. The C and the X are right next to each other they're on the like, keyboard. They're like, oh, he, are you the Are you the secretary? secretary? Yeah, what is that from? I don't know, oh but you're God, right. Yes. I remember it. I want to say it was like New Girl. No, maybe not. I don't know. Oh, I'll have to look that up. But yeah. Anyway, her father was a steel worker for many years, but he ended up becoming disabled at one point in an accident at work. So. Ooh, no bueno. She lived most of her life in independence with her parents and her brother, Eugene Jr. And from the sounds of it, her parents both had their share of drinking issues. They were drunk a lot, but she 
still enjoyed her upbringing. Like she enjoyed her household and she like liked her parents. Mm-hmm. But they definitely did have drinking problems. They weren't perfect. No. That's okay. And that ended up also kind of getting passed on to her brother Eugene as well when he got older. So uh, Sharon hated independence. And she wanted to get out of the small farm town. It's bigger now, but at the time, obviously, in the 30s. The 39 is when she was born. Oh, okay, okay. I think I said 31. 39. That makes sense. Yeah, so it was much smaller, more farm and rural. Yeah, yeah. She dreamed of a much more glamorous life for herself. She wanted to marry rich and live an easy life in a bustling city. Actually, she wanted to marry rich and jet set. (laughs) And fly all over. She did, and she didn't want to have to work for it. Wow. Well, I mean, at that point in life, she couldn't anyways. Like, you couldn't work to get to the point as a woman. Yeah, like true. you couldn't make it have a job that would provide that. You can at that point you couldn't even open a bank account without your father or husband's permission. In 1939, yeah, that was you weren't women were not able to open bank accounts without their father or husband's permission until I think it was 1973. 1973 yeah. in every state. I'll look it up, but that's when the law was pa- like passed. Hmm. You can talk. I'm going to look it up. Okay. Uh, So, like I said, she hated independence. She didn't want to be there. She wanted to get out of Dodge. (laughs) Out of independence. Out of independence. So then in the summer after her eighth grade year, Sharon's family moved out to Bellingham, Washington, where her father thought that he could get some work. Sharon really enjoyed Washington, but her family really only stayed there for about a year and a half before returning to independence again 1974 for all states wow okay so uh this was when sharon was 15 they moved back to independence damn she got out of there for a little bit but then she had to come back sharon was an attractive girl she was tall and slender Mm -hmm. weighing around 125 pounds and standing at five foot seven she had blonde hair and blue eyes and was very well endowed. I've never heard a woman being described as well endowed. You what? Yeah. Men are always described as well endowed. Women are like, she was very voluptuous or she was very, what's the word? Like, she was mature. Yeah. As she far had, as her body goes. She had big titties. She had curves and boobs. She had a, a fatty. A fatty. A fatty? A fatty. What is that? A fat ass? (laughs) No. No, she was slender, like I said, but she had, like, a womanly figure from a young age. She was an hourglass. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you could say that. Anyway, she uh, quickly realized this, and the boys always flocked to her, and she learned early on that her good looks could get her pretty much— Her milkshakes bring all the boys to the yard. That's exactly She was like, damn right. It's better than yours. That's right. So anyway, she learned early on that her good looks could get her pretty much anything she wanted if she asked in the right way or offered the right thing in return. She was not above offering sexual favors to get what she wanted. All right. Even as a young girl. That's not good, but okay. Not great. Not great. She was charming, and when she wanted to be— Oh, sorry. She was charming when she wanted to be and very witty 
which yeah. enabled her to manipulate the men in her life pretty easily. Yeah, it's pretty easy. She was fairly smart. It's also pretty easy. <laughs> In her younger years, Sharon was involved with the Girl Scouts, where oh. she had learned to, oh, no. where she had learned the vital skills of how to cook and sew. Oh, <laughs> the Girl Girl Scouts are always such a bunch of bull. Like well, they, especially back then. That's yeah. like this is what she remembers from the Girl Scouts. I learned to cook and sew from the Girl Scouts. But even when we were younger, like the boys would go on like these cool day hikes and stuff, and the girls were like, "Let's have a baking cookies." And, yeah, and like having a campfire, drawing or, art project. Yeah, and like I want to learn how to shoot a bow and arrow, well, which I do know. That's how why to I hung out with the Boy Scouts more than the Girl Scouts. And you won. You dominated at all their stuff. I did enjoy the Boy Scouts. It was you very were fun. Dominated. <laughs> And dad was like, that's my girl. <laughs> and Sonny's in the corner like, I don't want to. And like, I will. <laughs> no, Sonny wasn't like that. He just uh, wanted to play his game. No, he did all the or stuff. read his book. But particularly on one event, he couldn't go because he got sick. And I went with dad. <laughs> and yes, I definitely dominated a little bit. To be fair, I think I was a year or two older than most of the boys. You're also a, a little girl. Boys are always usually a little bit bigger than girls. Well, I was already a small girl to start True. with. I you was in t- very it. small. Yeah. I was tiny and short. Yeah. But she a fighter. She's scrappy. I, I am scrappy. That's how I was. <laughs> I was scrappy. The Boy Scouts were definitely more fun. I can say that from experience. Yeah, I remember hanging out with Dad and stuff during Boy Scouts. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I did enjoy it. Since early in her childhood, Sharon had a voracious reading habit. She oh. loved reading. Okay. And okay. she devoured, like, Literally any literature content she could get her hands on. Wow. Respect. As a, as a child, she most enjoyed Greek and Roman mythology. Okay. For sure. I get that. Yeah. It's interesting. She idolized the beautiful and doted upon goddesses in the Persephone. stories. She Aphrodite. Loved that idea. But then in her teens and early 20s, she began to enjoy more like celebrity gossip magazines and true crime magazines as well mm. as fictional crime novels. Mm. I mean, I, I get that too. I, I will say that. I think I kind of enjoy true crime a little bit. Oh, yeah, a little bit. But my guilty pleasure is definitely knowing all the hot gossip. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. Did you hear that Pete and Pete? And um, Kim K went on their first vacay together, or that she's finally officially divorced by from Kanye, and then Kanye released a video about uh, like a, a music video to one of his songs about killing Pete. Holy shit! Yeah, and he's like, "Ha, just kidding." Uh, this is concerning. Yeah, I would be scared of that man. Me too. I'd be like, he, he is he's unstable. A loose cannon. He's unstable. He, like literally, it's a claymation video, and in it, it shows him burying Pete's head. Oh, like God. yeah, like he's buries like buries him alive. Dude needs to get over it. I'm like, honey, grow up. Calm. You and get four, over it. You've had at least four girlfriends since this, Are and you, she's had one. What the male hell is wrong partner. with him? Yeah, he's such a dick. He's such a fucking piece of shit. This is the type of men that end up killing their wives. Yes, exactly. That's what it is. Like, people are like, oh, like, you know, I'm picking this side or that side. No. Like, this is the type of behavior Mm -hmm. from men that get their wives killed. Like, they kill their wives. And not even. Like, it doesn't even have to be that bad to be that. Like, he is crazy. He is crazy. That, like, possessiveness is, that's dangerous. That That is. is a dangerous man. Yeah. He needs to be I'm just meaning, like, it doesn't have to be that obvious for it oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Of course, but I mean, like those are the type of guys that yes. yeah. killed. Their oh partners. yeah, he's dangerous. He's a dangerous person yeah. in, on multiple levels. Oh yeah. 
Uh, anyway, um, so like I said, she liked the true crime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like somebody else I know. Yeah. <clears throat> Rainy. Uh, what? <laughs> you got me into it, girl, so that's on you. Are you upset about it? No. I didn't think so. Yeah. So she really loved reading about the sexual dalliances and the exciting lifestyles of criminals and their partners. Oh. She thought the women were all so beautiful, like models, and the men rugged, handsome, and dangerous. Oh, like Roy Kent. Roy Kent. Yeah. <laughs> rugged and dangerous. Just rugged and if angry. If you guys haven't watched Ted Lasso... <laughs> You definitely should watch Ted Lasso. It's funny because I'm super attracted to Roy Kent and to Ted. <laughs> I'm like, these are the total opposites, but they're both, like, cute. Like in- I'm kind of attracted to Ted, not really, but definitely attracted to Roy. But then I realized, oh, he kind of looks like my boyfriend, so makes sense. Well, neither of those look anything like my boyfriend. So That's true. Not at all. So I don't know if there's any guys that I'm like, oh, yeah, who lo- looks like Hunter. Milo Thatch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for sure. When I, you're like, he does it. I show you the picture. Like, that's the exact same thing. You're right. And I'm like, I know. I know. You're right. That's him. <laughs> yep. That, you're okay. <laughs> yeah. No. Then my other celebrity crush is Pete Davidson. And then I don't know why, but Michael Sarah is thrown in the mix somehow. Yikes. Yeah. I told you. My no, like can't. track record with like celebrity crushes is just garbage i'm sorry i'm like why am i attracted to you like you're not attractive but i'm attracted to you like i don't know why i like michael Sarah. that is he's weird. awkward and not that attractive no but in the early summer of 1956 sharon attended a local gathering for the mormon church Ooh. although she was not religious She was very social and likely was just interested in seeing who she could meet at the party. She did like the party. Proud. Yeah, I'm sure Mormons get crunk. Like I said, she wanted to get out of pendants. She was, at this point, she was on the prowl for a A man to get her out. So. All right. At least she knew what she wanted. She spotted a handsome young man, Mm. seemingly in his 20s, in a suit staring at her from across the room. Oh. He seemed shy, mm, but Sharon was not. Yeah. She smiled at him to let him know that she noticed him as well, but when he blushed and looked away, she decided she had to make the first move. I'm sure she's fine with that. Yeah, she didn't care. <laughs> yeah. She went over to him and introduced herself. James Arthur Kinney was 22 years old and home for the summer from his engineering courses at Brigham Young University. Mm, wow. Yeah. It's a BYU boy. He was taking— Bayou boy. Ba- a Bayou boy. <laughs> no. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> he was taken by Sharon's beauty immediately and caught off guard by her forwardness and willingness to make the first move. Good for you, Sharon. She was not used she was to girl, that. From she girls. was a girl boss. She girl boss too close to the sun, apparently. She. What did I say that to the other night? Like, oh, I was. What's her name? Rebecca on Ted Lasso. Like, she's oh, yeah. a girl boss, but she girl bossed a little too hard, a little too close to the sun. <laughs> uh, taken by Sharon's beauty, caught off guard by his former. Okay, he introduced himself to her, and they started taking. How long you find your place by doing a southern accent? Sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. 
He was caught off guard by. All right, now I'm like messing <laughs> up. I keep seeing the right, the wrong. Bleh. Okay. I keep saying the right words. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. <we're... laughs> he introduced himself to her and they started dating immediately. Um, oh, she was like, You're dating me now. He's like, Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. I messed that up. They started talking. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, I'm going to cut that off. Keep it. Nope. Keep it. So they introduced himself and they started talking. Dear Lord. Woman. Sharon was impressed by his collegiate status and mm-hmm. thought that he could be her ticket out of Missouri. He could. She put on the charm and started flirting with him as she told him about her life. She created a lie about her age. How old was she actually? Oh, get ready for this. So that he would not be turned off by the fact that she was 16 years old. And six years his junior, she told him she was a senior in high school but was almost 20 as she had gone back to school after missing a year and a half between moving to and from Washington. So she snuck in a lie in between some truths and made a lie sandwich. Which, <laughs> it's like how to create the perfect lie. You you sandwich always- it between two truths. Yeah. Anyway, it was a lie sandwich, and it was horrific because this is disgusting. She was 16, and he was 22. Okay. I will say that six years difference is not big. However, when you are still a minor, it is. Yes, yes that's what I'm saying. When you're a minor. Like, okay, girl, if you were, like, 18 or 20 at the point, that's fine. But, yes. like... And and he didn't know. He didn't know, course, and she yeah. looked older than she right, was. Exactly. So yeah. It was hard. So she was telling him that she was 19, almost mm. 20. Which would have been fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's like three years. That's not even a big... That's no, nothing. That's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so um, as I said, she flirted and not Did the subtly, whole, you know, I might add. Touch his arm. Oh, you're so strong. Oh, she was touching. She was touching like uh, on him. She was touching on herself. Pulled her boob she out. She was like messing with her buttons on her shirt and like she did letting the whole, things oh, flip around. And, I oh. dropped something. Yeah, the bend and snap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what she did. She's like... Wow, your muscles are so big in that Mormon suit of yours. You want me to tell you exactly how forward yes. she was? <laughs> All right. so I can at, see your penis from here. <laughs> at the end of the conversation, she made a statement about getting the stiffness out of his personality and, and putting it, just... it where it belonged. And she gestured toward his a penis. Oh, I'm sure it was already stiff. <laughs> and then she told him to call her sometime and left. Call me. Bye. That was the that was the bait and switch, I guess. Wow. So that is oh, he he's a Mormon. Yeah. Don't you think he'd be like, my lord, woman, straight to hell. He was a Mormon, but he was still a young man. He was still a a boy who was like, anything. Ah." And a young man who has never had sex. I'm busting (laughs) out the seams. (laughs) Too eager. Eager beaver. He was very excited to try and see her again. Oh, I'm sure he was. Uh, Like I said, well, James being a horny young man in his early 20s couldn't keep Sharon out of his mind. And he called her the next day. Over that summer, the pair saw each other as often as possible. James's innocence had been taken by his relationship with Sharon. You mean like his virginity innocence? Yes. Say that. His innocence makes it sound a little creepy. He was pretty innocent. He was also an adult. Yeah, but he was like very naive. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Was she a virgin or was she? No. Oh. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> oh, my God. This girl. Like, I'm not sl- here to slut shame. However, so your roll, sweet cheeks. Oh, it's okay. She's a horrible person. So I can call her a whore. She was a terrible person. I don't care what you do. Sleep around. Not my problem. Sleep around, but maybe not when you're like 16. Just like that's not let a, you be your, yourself for a while before your you start giving yourself to everybody formed else. At that point, so wait to sleep around until your brain is fully formed, yeah. so you can make actual decision decisions. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's my suggestion. Just try and wait a couple years. Girls my brains, brains not even formed. I don't think <laughs> girls' brains are formed in their early 20s. Guys oh, have cool. to wait till their late 20s. Yeah, makes sense. To get to the full maturity. Anyway. You're the hunter and a sleeping around until you're late. <laughs> As a devout Mormon, he had spent his entire life fighting sexual urges and desires. But with Sharon, he couldn't help himself. James worked at the print shop with his father, Haggard Kinney, which is a horrible, yeah. horrible name. What's your name? Haggard. Haggard is such a terrible name. I feel so bad Haggard. for it. I wonder if that man looked haggard. Like, oh man, this poor guy. Anyway, his name was Haggard, and he worked with him over at uh, during the summer break at the print shop. Mm. Sharon ended up spending a lot of time with them at the print shop because they just wanted to spend time Mm -hmm. together. And he was really impressed because she picked up the business very quickly, and she was just helping out around while they were there a girl boss yeah he was surprised by her aptitude for the printing business and she quickly picked up the skills of typesetting all of this time around the print shop made it so that haggard could also observe the relationship and he was not as taken by sharon as his son was he could see that she was playing him like like a fiddle fiddle like a uh, fucking uh, uh, fiddly diddle. Uh, 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 oh, she was fiddling his diddle. <laughs> <laughs> but when he warned James about it, the conversation only led to a fight. Of course. And he decided to just let it go after a while. He believed it was going to just be a summer fling and it would be over. Mm-hmm. Not a big deal. The summer came to an end and Sharon and James shared a sensual and emotional goodbye and promised oh. to write to one another. As soon as James had left, though, Sharon became worried that with James off at college and with other women around, that he might, you know, want to try something else. She thought that after his sexual awakening with her, he would start relationships with other women at the BYU campus and forget all about her back home. (gasps) No. And she was not about to let that happen. Yeah. So, as... (laughs) Because James seemed like her only chance to get Mm -hmm. out of independence. She was not going to lose it. Yeah. So she wrote to James immediately. 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 And only days after arriving back at the university, James is surprised to receive a letter. (gasps) Very quickly. Wow. The letter read something like this. If you give another girl, I'm going to murder your ass. No, 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 no. no. So it read kind of like this. So get ready for it. Our time together meant everything to me, and in the midst of passion, I gave myself to someone for the first time. Yes, you were the first man I'd ever given myself to, completely and without reservation. Maybe it's wrong, but I feel no shame. But now the sins of our summer have produced a child in my room. But don't worry, I don't expect you to sacrifice your education and return to independence. I'll handle the situation. At the very least, I'll look upon the child and think of the only man I ever truly loved. 
Oh my god. So first of all, she lied. First of all, she lied. Second of all, now she's pregnant. Yep. Is she actually pregnant or is she lying about being pregnant? To get trap him. We'll see. Okay. Not only was he not her first, first. she also was with other guys while they were together that mm. summer. So. so she was a cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. Yeah. Wow. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Sharon was not pregnant. It's a big birthday cake. <laughs> Make a wish. What? But had concocted the plan to get James to marry her and take her away to Utah. Sweep mm. her off her feet to Utah. Wow, that sounds so much better than Missouri. <laughs> Which no. would be a hell of a lot closer to sunny California. Is that so, where she was originally wanting to go? She wants to go out west. Yeah. So, like, she liked Come to Washington. Oregon, Miss Girl. She liked Washington, you know. I love But really, Washington. she wanted to go to California, I think, more for the glamour. Yeah. That makes sense. But Washington's, I would love, if I had to move anywhere else, I'd move to Washington. I cannot. It's too cold and wet. Oh, I like it. Yeah. It's nice and, like, misty. Anyway, it would be at least closer to California than Missouri. True. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, just a tad. Mm-hmm. So, she knew the good Mormon man that he was. James would feel obligated to marry her and take care of the child, regardless of his feelings or affections. Mm. James knew that he cared for Sharon deeply, but he did not feel that he loved her, and he oh. certainly didn't want to marry her. Oh, He really enjoyed her company most of the time, but also knew Sharon could be demanding and angry, and he saw that side of her that summer. Oh, my gosh. All of this aside, he felt morally obligated to go and marry Sharon and care for her and their future child. Before he made this final decision and left Utah, he confided in one of his female friends at the college, another student there, Mm -hmm. about his dilemma. This friend urged James to seek out the truth of the situation and Mm -hmm. dig in a little deeper because it seemed odd to her and told him that Sharon might be trying to trick him. But wow. James being maybe just a woman's intuition or the fact that we're smart, it can see through bullshit. <laughs> and he's like, no, I must be, ob- I'm the man. I must be morally correct. James and take his- care of her and this child. <laughs> James and his naivety yeah. uh, decided that that's not possible. Nobody would lie about being pregnant and that that was ridiculous. So I lie about it all the time. What the I'm fuck? Just kidding. You're like Kelly on The Office. Yeah. I'm (laughs) pregnant. Really? No. (laughs) (laughs) If you didn't know, don't know The Office, I just shook my head very violently at the camera, just like Kelly. (laughs) James returned to Independence in October and told his dad about the situation. His father agreed that he needed to marry Sharon and that it was the right thing to do, but he was not happy about it. Mm-hmm. Also not happy mm-hmm. that he found out his son was mm-hmm. having sexual relationships with this girl. Uh, his son was an adult. Well, yeah, like, but on. he was like a Mormon. Like he came from a very classic Mormon you know household. What? Do you want to hear something His father really had gross? opinions. Do you know what soaking is? No. Do you want to know what soaking is? No, I don't think so. You're going to want to know what soaking is. I don't. So Mormon teens, because they can't have sex, correct, will do this thing called soaking. And this is like a legit thing where the girl will lay down on the bed and the guy will penetrate her. And But 
you know, they can't move, right? Because that can, is considered sex. Like, the friction, the actual progress. That's and, the sex? Yes. I, apparently, that's their loophole. So then they get a really good friend who goes under the bed and, like, bumps it for them. So <laughs> Yeah, and you can get the rest from there. Damn, that would be a good friend. I would not do that for none of my friends. Like, no. <laughs> no. Just suck it up and have sex that like a normal person. That can't be real. It is. Oh. It's 100%. Kenzie, no offense to Mormons, but Mormons are freaky. <laughs> like, they're, like, terrifying to think. Have you heard of their garments and stuff? <laughs> God, I don't know. So, uh, anyway, he became even more unhappy when Sharon really started to show her true colors. Mm. Now that she felt she had James trapped... Her attitude changed. Mm. She berated him constantly about his naivety and blamed him for the pregnancy, telling him that he had ruined her plans to go to college. Oh. Well, I don't think she was actually planning on going to college. She's not pregnant. I know. So it doesn't fucking matter. I know. I know. I just mean, like, she didn't plan on doing any hard work in her life besides conjure up insane stories and lies. Yes. So, James and Sharon were accompanied by Haggard to the courthouse for their marriage application. At the courthouse, Sharon made a scene telling a story about how she had been married before. What? And was a widow. What? (laughs) What? Yes. What in the hell? When James and Haggard questioned her about this new revelation, she told James he was stupid to believe that he had been her first and that, and she told Haggard to keep <laughs> head out of her own business. Oh my gosh! She really just did a whole one eighty. She's crazy. She went nuts. Um. Uh, so that is intense. Which just made James hate the situation even more. Obviously, I would be like, I don't care about morals right now. I'm leaving your ass. <laughs> Goodbye, bitch. She told them that when she lived in Washington, she was married to a guy named Big Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and that he had died in a car accident one oh, evening. No. And she spoke about it very callously and in graphic detail. So as to shock everyone around her. Big Jim got in a car accident and his head got chopped off as he went through the window. And I, and yeah, like that. Actually, she said he bounced down the highway and splattered all over. Ew. Yes. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> he bounced like, boing, boing. <laughs> Ow. Yeah. So that was nice. What a rude. Was that true? Did she actually, was she actually previously married? Or is that a lie? Well, there had been been no proof to corroborate Sharon's story about okay. having been married previously, and it is quite unlikely to be true as Sharon could have been at the most 15 years old yeah. when this happened. Yeah, that's weird. Which okay. because that's when she moved back from Washington. Yeah. Hmm. But Nothing that's it's not true. There's yeah. nothing about it okay. anywhere. So Sharon continued with her line even on the marriage license. She had told James that she was almost 20 when in reality she was 16. 16. But it seemed like she kind of just decided to split the difference and filled out the marriage license with her age being 18. Uh, <laughs> She's got three ages now. Wow. Did he not like catch that? It didn't seem like, like he did. Like, honestly, I don't know if he saw it. It was on the marriage certificate, but nothing else I read said anything about him being like, well, what? What? You didn't tell me this was your age. <sighs> anyway. James. She also made sure to check the bark. <laughs> check the mo- Uh-huh. Check the box marked widowed under marital status. Wow. <laughs> She's really, really leaning into it. This woman. 
On Tuesday, October 18, 1956, the couple had a small wedding ceremony at the Kinney residence on Walnut Avenue. Sharon was angry. She wanted a big church wedding and an extravagant ceremony, but Haggard would not allow it since they were not having, oh, since they were having a baby out of wedlock mm-hmm. and it would be inappropriate to have a church wedding. Haggard was not having it. He was not. Haggard was not in the mood. Yeah, he was in a bad mood, that's for sure. He did not like Sharon at all. He was haggard over it. (laughs) (laughs) A few days later, the couple packed up and headed out for Provo so James could resume his classes at Mm. BYU. Mm -hmm. Sharon made her opinions about their partnership clear. James was to work and make money to take care of the family and so that Sharon could go shopping. A lot. (laughs) Sharon loved spending money. Oh, my God. She spent a lot of money. (laughs) Well, okay. Which is fine if you have your money. But don't be spending other people's money. Yeah, don't don't be making somebody spend money for you to... Or don't be be making somebody to make money just so you can spend it. And they didn't have a lot of money. He was a student. Yeah, I was just going to say, isn't he going to school? Yeah. Anyway, when they moved back, they lived with a roommate in a small one-bedroom apartment for a few months before Sharon's constant complaining about the lack of space and the fact that James is always busy with school and church became just too much for James to handle. His grades started to suffer due to the distractions, and he decided to put school on hold and move back home for a while. So, she had to move back to Independence anyway. Oh, girl. You sabotaged your own plan. Good job. She did. They moved into a bungalow that James's family owned and How was... How cute. A bungalow? A bungalow. Oh, my gosh. And it was next door to their own home. So, they live right next to James's Does parents. Does he not know that she's not pregnant? Not yet. Wouldn't it have been a couple months now? This, no, they only li- Well, okay, so they lived there for like a month and a half is what I said. What did I say? A few months, yeah. She should have started showing, I would feel like. Um, Maybe not, I no, guess. No, she's, re- she's pretty small, so yeah. I think she didn't really show much. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so after coming back, um, oh yeah, so this angered Sharon. She did not like her in-laws, mm-hmm. mostly because they were nice. <laughs> And she took it out on James. She was constantly belittling him and calling him basically a mama's boy and soft. That's not cool. No, it's not cool. Sharon's mother-in-law, Caddy, really wanted to become friends with Sharon. And she tried hard to welcome her and help her whenever she needed help. She even offered, like, extra cash when Sharon would complain about finances. Sounds like Caddy was a sweet woman. Caddy was a very sweet woman. Aww. Sharon, however, hated Caddy. Of course she did, because she's a devil. <laughs> and she hated Haggard as well, obviously. And she knew Haggard's feelings for her. She yeah. could see that. She hated Haggard for that matter. And tried hard, and tried hard, mm-hmm. not to spend any more time with them than she had to. This upset James as well, as he wanted Sharon to get along with his family. And yeah. he hoped that she would actually end up joining the Mormon religion with them. Mm. Which could bring them all closer together. But she was not having that and made a point to tell James how much she despised his parents and their religion. I get the religion part, but maybe not the parents. Soon after returning to Independence, James started working at Bendix Aviation Corporation in nearby Kansas City. Hmm. This is where his mother and also an uncle worked. Hmm. I think it was his father's brother. Uh. Sharon was constantly starting and quitting jobs, and she always spent more money than she made. Hmm. Finances 
became a big issue in the younger Kinney household, Mm -hmm. as Sharon would spend most of both of their incomes on shopping trips or going out to meals. Oh, my gosh. It seemed impossible for her to be spending so much on herself. Yes. But then, again, she wasn't only spending it on herself. It was for her and the baby. Sharon had quickly become bored of her sexual relationship with James, which she also made a point to tell him, and started seeing other men. Like a lot of other men. (gasps) Oh. And so he knew that? No. Not at this point. No, he didn't But he knew that she didn't want to be with him? No, she knew she she just was always telling him like he wasn't good enough in bed and all oh. this stuff and like putting him down. Yeah, you know. Okay. <clears throat> so trigger warning for this next part: if you know you've ever gone through a miscarriage or anything, this could be a little difficult for you. So I'm just letting, putting that out there. Mm-hmm. It's not a normal trigger warning. This is different. Usually, we're trigger warning for. People being murdered and stuff. <laughs> yeah. This is, you know, a very personal thing. So yeah, just course. letting everybody know. One day, Sharon decided that she was done pretending to be pregnant and staged a miscarriage. She told James a story of how she started bleeding through her pajamas while he was away at work. And when she went to the bathroom, she started bleeding more. And then she realized she lost the baby while she was sitting on the toilet. She told him she spent an entire afternoon weeping and mourning her loss as she cleaned up the mess and waited for him to come home. James was devastated. He had become excited to have a baby, and he was looking forward to that next chapter in his life. That's so sad. Especially because, like, women that go through having a miscarriage, I mean, I can't personally relate. right. But I can only imagine. Horrible thing to have to experience. Like, that's such a traumatic thing. Or, you know, there's people like, why have people always whine about having babies? It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. You have those issues. Then you have people like this who pretend to have miscarriages. Yeah, and it's like, really? Like, come it's on. It's fucked up. I mean, and so many women do have miscarriages. A lot. Like, it's way more common than I think oh, we even think. Oh, it's a lot. Yeah. A lot of women have multiple miscarriages. Oh, yeah. I mean, like a lot of women I know mm-hmm. have had them. Mm-hmm. And it's just, A good portion. Yeah. Very sad. <clears throat> it is sad. Yeah, just it's kind of like the people, the girls who are like who lie about being raped. Yeah, it's like really yes. come mm-hmm. on, like ugh, sick. Yes, it's horrible. Scum of the it's earth. Disgusting. Type of behavior. It's disgusting. It is. It's absolutely disgusting. And you deserved like people who lie about having cancer. Yeah, that is also disgusting. It is fucking horrific. I hope karma bites all the people in the ass like that. Just saying, you get what you put into the universe. So. Yes. Just be prepared for that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, James cried as he legitimately attempted to console his wife, who had spent all day perfecting her act. That's sick. That is sick. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I can't, like... It's super sad. That's terrible. Mm -hmm. So, um, a few months later, in early 1957... 57... (laughs) 57. 57. (laughs) Anyway, a few months later in 1957, Sharon became pregnant for real this time. For realsies? For realsies. Oh, she does not deserve a baby. No. And nine months later, had her first child, a daughter, who we will call Katie, since she was a minor when everything happened. So we're Mm going to change the names of children. Okay. Okay. So Katie was born 
in the fall of 1957. A little fall baby. Yeah. Cute. James adored his daughter and doted on her. Fatherhood fit him very well. He was always playing with her and taking care Mm -hmm. of her. Surprisingly, though, actually, Sharon took to motherhood pretty well. Wow. Those I sewing would not and, expect that. <laughs> those sewing and cooking classes came in real handy. Oh uh, she enjoyed playing with Katie and caring for her. She would even sew her clothes. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. But the marriage was still struggling. Yeah. Because she's a horrible person. Yeah. <clears throat> wait, wait, wait. Is Katie even his daughter? Yes. Okay. She okay. is. Yes. Okay. So James again asked Sharon if she would be willing to take the religious classes and become a Mormon. He told her that if she did, they could renew their vows and have a proper church wedding this time. The idea of having a fancy wedding ceremony excited Sharon, so she agreed. And after she completed the courses and waited the required one-year mediative period, they planned a trip to Utah for the ceremony and honeymoon slash anniversary trip. They had— Oh, my God. Are you falling? What are you doing? What is happening? Do you break the chair? No. I just, I scooted it closer so I could, like, get closer to the microphone being like this. But I forgot that I left the back open. So when I went to lean back, I was, I fell. Oh, my god! I was butt first. <laughs> that was a little scary. Scary, scary. That was scary. Uh, so, um, okay. They had the ceremony in the Great Mormon Tabernacle in Salt Lake City. Oh. That's, have you ever? Actually, it's very pretty. I was going to say, have you ever seen it? Like pictures of it? Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, and it beautiful. Is. Yeah. So, but Sharon was unimpressed due to the <laughs> lack of ability for her family to attend, which I get. Yeah, that would be upsetting. And she felt like the only nice thing about it was the church, but nothing else was special to her. Yeah, because she doesn't care about Mormonism, which makes sense. Yeah. Well, and she didn't get like a big. Like, ceremony or anything. Mm-hmm. It was like, they had it in the church. They renewed the vows in the church. But, you know, she didn't get to plan everything. Mm-hmm. She didn't have a big, like, fancy party, whatever. Yeah. This caused her to resent James more. And through the entire trip, she threw a fit. <laughs> of course. James had hoped that they could soon move back out to Provo so he could resume classes. And maybe even Sharon would start to want to take classes as mm-hmm. well. He was even looking, you know, into her future. Aww. James seems like a sweet guy. Yeah. But after the way Sharon acted around his friends during their visit, he could not imagine living alone with her so far from home. When they returned home, James began looking for a new home to accommodate their growing family. They purchased a lot on Agnes Avenue and built a ranch-style home there. And Sharon soon gave birth to their second child, their son, Trevor. 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 That's also a name I just picked a random name. (laughs) James changed to the evening shift at work, which was 3.30 to midnight. And this gave him more opportunity for overtime. And, and he, to get away from her. <laughs> kind of. Part of it. I really do think that was part of it. And they needed the money. Mm-hmm. So he stayed o- late for uh, most days. Yeah. This gave Sharon more opportunities for extramarital affairs. And she began to spend a lot of time with a man named John Boldies. Sharon and John had dated back in high school and quickly picked up where they left off. John, hooking up. <laughs> <Hooking> up. <laughs> yeah. Fugging. <laughs> they were getting it all one, like Donkey Kong. <laughs> like Donkey Kong. Ew. John was someone Sharon could easily control, and she enjoyed doing so. She's definitely a dog. <laughs> she was a top. So 
John knew that if he was willing to put up with Sharon's nagging and complaining about her marriage, he would get plenty of sexual reward and with no commitment since Sharon was already married. So after a while, Sharon decided she was over the expensive hotels and backseating counters, so she began to bring John back over to the home she and James shared. With their children. Even with their children home. That is sick. Yeah. Sharon spent so much time out with other men that she would ignore the home and her children. Wow. As a man in the 50s, James might have had some sexist expectations of Sharon about housekeeping. Not cool, James. Not cool. Not cool. Not cool, but expected. Yeah, unfortunately. Even though at this time Sharon had a job, he also expected her to do most of like the cleaning and cooking around the house. She did work less hours than him yeah. and was supposed to be home more mm-hmm. to where she could, you know, help take care of the kids yeah. and cook and clean. However, Sharon did none at all. Yikes. She was too busy gallivanting around town with her multiple lovers to spend time caring for their children or home properly. Yikes. James would come home to a filthy, disgusting house. Like, dirty diapers spilling out of the trash and onto the floor, piles Ew. of dirty clothes all over. The children would wear the same clothes for days on end. Ew. Yeah. And Sharon never cooked. She, like, she at the most, she would, like, co- heat up a freezer meal or mm. she would order food in. That's it. Yikes. Which, if you're not a cook, you're not a cook, I guess. Yeah, but, I get that, for sure. I mean, I somebody's got to cook, and if you're the one who's home at dinner time, I guess it's you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, so James was asked uh, by one of his neighbors around this time uh, if Sharon had actually started working a second shift because she wasn't coming home a lot until, like, around 1130 at night. Who's watching her kids? She had them at the babysitter's a lot. Oh, like, okay. she paid for a babysitter, and actually she would... Just call the babysitter and say, something came up at work. I'm going to be late. Like, this happened oh, routinely. Okay. And so they would just stay later at this babysitter's yeah. house. Okay. Other neighbors told him about men coming and going from the home when he wasn't around. Oh and delivery men staying far longer than necessary. <gasps> Not the milkman or the no, FedEx guy. No, it was actually the laundry man. Oh, there was laundry men? <laughs> so when James complained about all the laundry, she decided to just send it to... A laundromat instead of cleaning it herself. She'd pay for somebody so else to clean to it. to do, too. Yeah. And anyway, so the laundromat, when he delivered the laundry, stayed quite a while. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, James, along with all the gossiping neighbors, was more than suspicious about Sharon cheating on him. Yeah. And with all of this, James decided he was done and wanted a divorce. Yeah. Okay. Which, Fair enough. To that, I say, dude, you should have known this way ahead of time. But yeah. Okay. True that. Should not have got with her in the first place, no. but okay. Whatevs. He told his parents about his issues, and they, being devout Mormons, believed Doris was not an option, and that he needed to work things out with Sharon, especially for the sake of their children. Caddy. I like, thought cheating was a like a thing they could divorce for, though. But they don't know for sure that she is, oh. so... Like, he's like, I think she's even cheating on me. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he doesn't have actual proof. But anyway, <clears throat> the real issue is that they didn't want to cause problems for the kids. So mm-hmm. they said, you need to work it out for the sake of the children. Yeah. That's the right thing to do, which really is not. I was going to say. if you it, hate each other, that's, that's not helping anything. That's not good anything. for the kids either, yeah. No. So Caddy went to speak to Sharon herself to try and smooth things over. This ended up with Sharon screaming and cursing at Caddy as she backed her out of the house crying. Wow. 
She was crying over the state of her son's marriage and the hurtful, evil things that Sharon was saying about her to her face. Oh, my gosh. Freaking Sharon. Yeah. She basically just blamed her for everything, told her it's her fault because her son is a mama's boy. And all he does is go and cry to her about everything and that he can't do anything because she coddled him his whole life. Not good. Not good. No. Which is not the case. He was working. And yeah. he, like, he was a he was providing. Guy. He was he providing. Was things. Yeah. He cared for his children. Mm-hmm. You're the terrible person in he this relationship. Not give, doing anything. And you started it that yeah. way. So, fuck like, you. Yeah, literally. This is a terrible human being. She's awful. Yeah. So, that was very bad. Anyway, Sharon decided that after this encounter with Caddy, sorry, that she was done as well. And that okay. night told James she would give him a divorce. She can do that? Well, he had ta- brought it up multiple times, mm-hmm. but she always said, like, no. This time, she said, yes, well, I'll give you a divorce. But she had some demands. She wanted to have the house. She wanted $1,000, and she wanted to get to keep Katie. But he could have Trevor. What? Yeah. No. hmm No. Yep. That's what she said. That's messed up. Yep. What did he do? So... He went back to his parents and told him about what she had said, but he didn't want to do this. He didn't yeah. want to split up the children. So he's trying to figure out something else. Can they not just take him to court? Well, yeah, he was oh, going okay. he went to a lawyer and he oh, was okay, talking okay. to somebody about yeah. it. But um before he had a chance to, something else happened. Before he had a chance for the divorce to go through. Sharon began to regret, you know, telling him this was giving him her demands mm-hmm. as she realized quickly that one thousand dollars was not that much money. And certainly not enough to live off of. Uh, no. No. That's like, okay. Yeah. Actually, $1,000 back then was about $9,500 today. So, not much. Yeah, that's like nothing. <laughs> that's like cool, I don't know, three paychecks maybe yeah. for... Certainly not enough to pay for her... income person. Exorbitant lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, so sweet. You can pay rent for like three months. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She had a fine she had to find a way she could make more money out of this relationship. And that is when she thought about James' life insurance policy. If James oh. were to die by accident, Sharon would receive $29,000, about $275,000 today. Okay. At her next romp with John Bendees, she asked him, oh, sorry, John I think it's Boldies. Boldies. Yeah. Sounds right. At our next romp with John Boldies, Sharon asked him if he would, quote, knock off her, quote, old man for $1,000. When John replied with a hard no, <laughs> she laughed no. it off. Hard pass. <laughs> he was like, uh, no, I'm not doing oh that. Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah. Do you think you could, hey, uh, like, in you, bed with your you lover? You want to kill my, get my, uh, husband, my for husband for me? No. Uh, Duff not. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm a past. Thanks. Anyway, so when he d- replied that way, she was like, uh, oh, I'm just joking. <laughs> but then also <laughs> mm, said it some other times. Like, she kept bringing it up. And he's like, no. Mm-hmm. And so finally she's like, well, do you know anyone who might want to do that? I oh mean, you are really shady. You know, well, no, you know a lot of people and you can get things done. She knew how to manipulate him, yeah. basically. And he told her that he'd ask around. But nothing ever ended up coming of that. Okay. 
Sharon was tired of waiting on John and got an idea of her own as she watched James interacting with Katie one day. James was cleaning one of the many guns he collected, his high standard 22 caliber pistol. Katie was playing with a similar looking toy gun that she had and came over and was shooting at her dad, pretending to get him. <laughs> and he like, oh, no, you got yeah. me, fell back and mm-hmm. like writhed on the ground. And was he was like totally playing it up for the super cute. I mean, although this is a dangerous game to be playing. I yeah. don't I don't recommend doing that but with I your mean, children. Let's be honest, like a toy gun is not that big of a deal. But, like, think about that. You do that all the time with, like, kids. Like, if they, like, you know, are, like, oh, and they hit you or something. Like, punch you. Yeah. Oh! "Oh!" You know? It's just a play. So then um, Katie asked her dad about his own gun that he had. How old is she at this point? Like, three. Oh, she's just a baby. Yeah, she's little. So then she asked about her dad's gun. He pulled her up onto his lap and decided to give her a lesson about gun safety, showed her how the trigger and the safety worked. Which I think, this is a little young for that. I would agree. Okay. Very young. So, anyway, that's what happened. At that moment, Sharon remembered a criminal case she had read about where a woman almost got away with murder. She murdered her husband by claiming it was an accident. An accidental shooting by her young child. The only reason she was caught was that she broke down in her interrogation and confessed. Mm. Sharon decided she would not make the same mistake. On March 19, 1960, while James was napping on their bed, Sharon began to set up the crime scene. She took James's 22 pistol out of its holster and placed it on the pillow, aimed at the back of James' head. And then she laid the holster on the ground beside the bed. Sharon gripped the gun but kept it lying on the pillow and shot James in the back of the head. Oh, my God. She immediately went to work, first calling her father-in-law hysterical, saying she thought James was dead and that Katie had accidentally shot him. Then she called the police in the same panic. The Kinneys and paramedics arrived close together. They found James lying on his back on the bed, twitching and shaking his head back and forth violently. So he was alive still? He was still alive. Oh, no. His mouth was open and blood was gurgling from it. Oh, no. The paramedics loaded him into the ambulance where he would pass away en route to the hospital without regaining consciousness. At the crime scene, Detective James Browning began the questioning of Sharon and her in-laws. Haggard told the investigators about the phone call he received from Sharon and what he witnessed at the scene, but he cut the interview short as he wanted to get to the hospital to see how his son was doing. Mm -hmm. Sharon told Detective Browning that she was in the bathroom getting ready for a dinner party at the church while James was taking a quick nap in the bedroom. Oh, okay. She was supposed to wake him up around 5.30, and she said she'd put Katie down in her playpen but around 5.20 could hear her talk in the bedroom from where she was in the bathroom. Mm. She explained to the officer that Katie had recently started climbing out of the playpen, so she wasn't totally surprised when she heard her. And she knew she had to wake him up soon anyway, so she was okay. She figured she'd just wake him up. She said that she could hear Katie say, quote, show me how this works, Daddy. Please show me how this works. Then she heard a shot and ran into the room. That's when she said she saw James had been shot. As she spoke to the officer, she placed Katie inside her playpen, which Katie immediately climbed out of, just as Sharon knew she would and hoped would help prove her story. Wow. Yeah. (sighs) 
Browning questioned about James and his guns. He asked if the gun was always left out where the children could access it. And Sharon told him, no, he, he she didn't like guns and she didn't really like, think about it too much mm-hmm. but and tried not to deal with it. But she knew that it was usually kept safe up on the top shelf in their linen closet mm-hmm. and away from the children. But that James had been cleaning the gun earlier that day and he must have just forgotten to put it away. Sharon started to really put on the grieving wife act and began to cry, which prompted the detective to stop the questioning there. For now. The crime scene was investigated by Lieutenant Bill Morton of the Jackson County Sheriff's Department and Sergeant Herman Davis of the Kansas City Police Crime Lab. They found the pillow on the right side of Kinney's bed had a dark powder or had dark powder burns and a two inch long rip along beside them. On the other pillow, there were obvious blood stains, mm-hmm. and they noted items that they found around the room, like a doll. <clears throat> Excuse our dogs, yeah. going frantically. <laughs> yeah, James's black boots, a baby rattle, and the gun holster all were found near the bed. They found the gun at the foot of the bed where the paramedics had placed it when they were working mm-hmm. on James, and then they noted the serial number on the gun. They found the gun had been freshly cleaned and was very oily which corroborated Sharon's story. story. Sergeant Davis decided a dermal nitrate test, which is a gunpowder residue Mm -hmm. test that was used at the time, would be impossible due to the oily nature of the gun. He also didn't like using the test anyway, as it had been proven to often produce false positive results. Oh, yeah, yeah. So for these reasons and the fact that he didn't want to subject Sharon and Katie to the hot wax necessary for the test, mm -hmm. he decided not to do it. Okay. So he did not test anybody for gunpowder residue. Mm-hmm. When they moved the bed away from the wall, they found the empty cartridge from the bullet that killed James on the floor mm-hmm. under the bed. Okay. As the officers discussed the scene, they brought up the possibility of suicide. And the next mm-hmm. day, Sergeant Leahy visited Sharon for a second interview. Haggard was also with Sharon at the time and was interviewed again. Detectives asked if she thought James could have committed suicide, to which she adamantly rejected. She told her same story again and added that she was confident that Katie was capable of accidentally shooting James because he had shown her how to use the gun, and she was not afraid of it. When asked his opinion, Haggard told the officer he knew James loved guns and wanted his children to be comfortable around them and not to fear them. Mm -hmm. He also told the officers about the toy pistol that James had bought Katie and that it was her favorite toy. Uh Ballistics tests were performed in the gun to recreate the shooting and determine if it had happened the way Sharon explained. By lying the gun down on a pillow and firing it, they were able to recreate the same trajectory of the bullet that went to James's head. Mm-hmm. And then in suit, the casing also went in the same direction as the casing in yeah, the actual okay. incident. As well as it mimicked the gunpowder stains found on the pillow and the rip. So it all seemed to be lining up. The one issue that concerned Sergeant Herman was that the trigger pull was three pounds. And he was not confident that a child of Katie's size and age would be able to pull that trigger. The officers decided the only way to prove or disprove Sharon's story was if they could determine if Katie could actually physically discharge the weapon. So they went over to Sharon's house and told her they needed to see Katie handle the gun. Okay. And if she was capable of shooting the weapon. Mm -hmm. Sharon told them that she was not okay subjecting her daughter to this as she thought it would be traumatic for her. Mm -hmm. And she herself was even more afraid of guns now than she had originally been. Yeah. 
<clears throat> so she did not want any part of this, which I get. Uh, like, yeah, if this say, was a legitimate case, like, yeah, I get that. I would yeah. not want that either. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that is, uh, I that makes sense to right. me personally. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. But when the officers told her that this really was for her, in her best interest, because if Katie couldn't mm-hmm. fire the gun, then they would be looking at her as a suspect oh. because they re- they had ruled out suicide suicide <laughs> suicide suicide they had ruled out suicide at this point but based on the trajectory of the bullet okay it was too far behind yeah, his head yeah so when they said this is really more for you if mm-hmm. she, we need her to be able to do this if she can't then that's bad for you and yeah. she's like fine so she wanted to prove that Katie could fire the gun. Mm-hmm. They brought out the gun, and Sharon got Katie and told her that the men were here to play with her and the gun like her dad used mm-hmm. to. They told Katie that they were going to play cowboys and that the twenty-two pistol would be her gun, and they gave it over to her. Katie, excitedly, picked up the pistol. At first, Katie could not get it to fire. She would pull the trigger, but nothing would happen. Annoyed, she put the gun down on the table. Worried that Katie was going to blow her alibi, Sharon urged Katie to play like she used to with her dad. Being like, come on, honey, play. You know how to do this. And she was becoming very visibly concerned. The cops were picking up on something. Yeah. While the detectives began to eye each other, Sharon said that just because she wasn't doing it now didn't mean that she couldn't have done it before. She knew she could do it. So she was like, "I, she knows I'm. She can do this. It's. I know she can. Getting I've seen a her do it. Too defensive. Exactly. She was like, "Mom, like you know, stepping over her own mm-hmm. words." And the detectives were feeling a little more confident in their suspicions. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, Katie remembered the safety. She clicked the safety off while the gun was on the table. Picked up the gun and pulled the trigger as she yelled, "Bang!" And it fired. Oh. It was obviously all empty and everything, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know, fired. Sharon, satisfied and smug, gave the gun back to the officers and told them to leave. The officers discussed their multiple encounters with Sharon Kinney and their disbelief in her story. Hmm. She had been cold and unconvincing. They didn't think she was sad about her husband's passing. She never even went to the hospital when he went to the hospital. She stayed home the entire time. They sensed she was responsible for his death, especially Mm -hmm. after this last encounter when Katie seemed unable to fire the weapon at first. Yeah. She was, Sharon was visibly sweating and nervous. Mm -hmm. And to them, this was all the proof they needed, but they knew that it it would not hold up in court. There was nothing they had that they could actually, you know, bring against her. Yeah. In the court of law. Makes sense. And so reluctantly, they had to close the case as an accidental homicide. The horrible woman had gotten away with murder. And had placed the blame on her young daughter. Yeah, that's messed up. And all she felt was pleasure and relief. She was out of her marriage. She had money she wanted. And her first decision after James was buried and she had received the insurance money was to go and buy a flashy new sports car. Oh, my God. She knew exactly what she wanted. A blue Ford Thunderbird. Wow. She went to the dealership and purchased one the same day. She even traded in James's car to help purchase it. His car he had had since he was a kid. Wow. This is where she met Walter Jones. Oh, no. A married man who she'd soon start a torrid affair with and the relationship that would lead to her next horrific crime. Oh, my God. 
Wow. Okay. And that's where I'm leaving you for today. Wow. So Sharon sucks butt. Sharon is horrible. Sharon's kind of a bad person. Sharon's awful, and I hate her. Yeah, no. Yeah, that sucks. That's that's pretty rough. It's awful. Yeah. So anyway, this is part one, in case you guys didn't recognize that. I'm not going to just leave in the middle of a case. We will see you again (laughs) next time for a part two. Let's mention that we are changing our upload date. Yeah, this is coming out on Monday. I'm sure you'll realize that when you see it come out on Monday. But we have decided that it would be better for us to start releasing on Mondays instead. So as far as with our schedules, it'll just make it easier for us to stay consistent. Yeah. And we want to be able to do that. So we're changing our upload days to Monday. So this is coming out a few days later than usual. But then it'll be, you know, once a week after that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, that but was... that's it for the case today, and wow. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope yeah. it was interesting. It was a lot of background today, but we did get into the first Murder. of her murders. Oh, my God. and you will learn about more later. Oh Lord. Oh Lord. Okay. Oh. All right. Well, well <laughs> thanks for listening. And remember, guys, you can be strange. But don't be a stranger. Don't do it. Just don't. Don't, Yeah, don't do it. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Nah. All right. Okay. Bye. 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 If you liked listening to the show and want to hear more from us in the future, then please rate, review, and subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts. Or follow us on your favorite podcatcher. If we're not on a platform that you prefer, then let us know and we will work to get our voices on there for you. You can reach us for comments, questions, or requests for case or paranormal phenomenon at SysteriousPod at gmail.com. You can tweet us at SysteriousPod, check out our Instagram at Sisterious underscore podcast, or like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Sisterious dash podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can donate to our Patreon page. Remember, you can be strange, but don't be a stranger. All right, we'll see you next time. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.